Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Welcome back to Vice and Easy. Thank you for sticking with me after the break because now we are back and we are ready to go. Season two is starting off with a bang, so much so that I am going to follow syndication and split this episode up into two parts, Prodigal Son Part 1, which you're listening to right now, and Prodigal Son Part 2. Now, what's going on, if you might ask? Well, let's start it off. Per IMDb, The Prodigal Son, plot synopsis, Crockett and Tubbs travel to New York to take down a powerful Colombian cartel. Interesting. This is going to be fun. Now, as we open the episode, we're not opening up in New York City. We are opening up in Bogota, Colombia, which in reality is upstate New York. (laughs) And as Crockett and Tubbs are traveling along with a DEA agent in kind of like a ramshackle Jeep up the mountainside, they're on their way to a remote town. They're obviously not greeted by the warmest of faces as they are stopped, frisked, and escorted into this town by soldiers screaming at them in Spanish the entire way. Now, as they make their way to this unfortunately ransacked village, they are trying to get a little bit more info. And this is what Crockett and Tubbs are here for. I came down here to get the Rabia's flight schedules, not my last right. And it's in this village that Crockett and Tubbs finally get what they're looking for. They are looking for the flight schedules. Turns out, unfortunately, the gentleman who has this information is currently being tortured in a somewhat ramshackle shack. Um, The one funny part that I will note before we get to torture, which is decidedly less funny, is that there's a sign outside the shack that says no smoking. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's the only place that you can't smoke inside in 1985. It's Crockett's worst nightmare. And as they're being let in, Tubbs, obviously being the one of the two that speaks Spanish, trying to go over to this guy that's getting tortured. There is a chicken hanging from the roof, which I did not include in the pictures for very good reasons. I don't know what the rules were against animal treatment at this time either, so the vegetarian in me is not really impressed. No, also that I don't want to use my imagination and think about what they're using that for in this torture scene. But all that aside, Tubbs is able to procure some water for this gentleman from one of the very unfriendly soldiers, and he's trying to get a little bit more information out of him help him as much as he can in this situation. Tell me. That, of course, is the electrocution. But you did hear him say La Cruz de Jesus. So they have that piece of information, Jesus' cross, the cross of Jesus, what have you. And... Then they start getting a little bit pushier. They want more information from him as he's currently being electrocuted, which I think is a little unfair in my opinion, but who am I? Uh, Unfortunately, there's not really much they can do about the electrocution. So I guess they just kind of have to get the information they need and get out of there. And naturally, surprise, surprise, these soldiers are really not welcoming to Crockett and Tubbs. They get into a huge fight, start beating each other up. Luckily, the DA agent is able to kind of calm things down before one of the guards in short, tells them where to go. Se acabó. Váyanse. Este es nuestro país y estas son nuestras leyes. Come on, man, let's get out of here. You guys are gonna get us killed, man. Get out of my face! Okay. 
like I said, welcome to the third world. And so while there were no subtitles translating the Spanish dialogue into English on my device, there were no subtitles. Um, just give you a quick rundown. He basically says it's over, leave. This is our country. These are our laws, which totally justified, actually, to be fair. <laughs> Not agreeing with it, but just saying. And so as they leave the shack, they hear gunfire behind them where they are executing the gentleman that they were just torturing. Therefore, that is the last words that this gentleman has ever spoken to Tubbs, basically saying the cross of Jesus. And from that, we cut into the intro. Then we cut back. We meet back at OCB where Crockett's looking at a map and the rest of them, they're all kind of talking about what this could mean. And there is a DA agent who looks very familiar, but I will give Michael May credit. He did wait 22 episodes. So the DA agent, Scotty Wheeler, as you remember, from the pilot so it is interesting to have this casting and they did make him look much more debonair so it doesn't look like the same guy at first but when you kind of close into his face you're like oh that's like a more handsome version of scotty so maybe he lost a little bit of weight got like a little gym regime going during his one-year hiatus on my advice so good for him and superficial notes aside back to the case in question this is what we're all here for so when they're talking about the cross of jesus or jesus's cross what could that mean Crockett mentions that he did work with a guy who was a pilot who called his drop spot Christ Crossing right here in Florida in the Everglades. And Castillo agrees to get them to check it out because it is in their jurisdiction. So now we are off to the Everglades in my favorite personal form of transportation in Florida, airboats. I've never been on an airboat. I think that is also why I'm so drawn to an airboat. The only gator tours I've done have been in New Orleans, um, you know, just outside of New Orleans, in the bayou, in the swamp, and they've been on covered boats and not on an airboat proper. So that is my dream one day. So next time I'm in Florida, I know exactly what kind of gator tour I'm doing. And while we're on the topic of swamps, who better but to rhapsodize about his past and swamps than Sonny Crockett? Vietnam, Cambodia, Colombia, Puerto Rico, Bahamas, Everglades. But I've soaked up more swamp than Elvis. <laughs> that was a good line. I did appreciate that. And so while they're waiting, Castillo basically says that they're going to wait four more hours. We're supposed to make the drop two hours ago. They have four more hours to wait, which is a very long time to be sitting in a swamp. Can't really do anything. You can't really chit chat that much because you're waiting for another airboat to come in. So you can't be that loud. Imagine just being six hours just alone with your thoughts. So I get it. You can't really play games with anybody. You're there with all your coworkers, but you can't gossip. I, for one, could never. And naturally, like ordering food when it's dead at a restaurant and then 20 different customers come in. As soon as Castillo says that they can leave, only they're waiting for four more hours. Guess what pulls up? Another airboat. Castillo can only identify one Riviera brother, Miguel. And the DA agent starts shining the light on them as they pull up to this abandoned seaplane that they have, making the, their drop. Obviously, ask them to put their guns down, hands up. That obviously does not work. Giant shootout occurs. They do pick off a few of the Rivia family. However, they can't tell if they got Miguel. And then as we're pulling out of the swamp and the airboats leaving... I note the chef from waiting <laughs> is waiting in the swamp, Luis Guzman. So that's Miguel Ravia. He is definitely still alive and he's definitely on the run. 
And so I want you to keep in mind that the big dog Revia brother there after Miguel is MIA. He was not captured. He was not arrested. He was not shot at this shootout. So with that information, please keep in mind that the DEA are throwing a party of invited the vice cops. So as Crockett and Tubbs are walking up to the party, Crockett's kind of, you know, not really looking forward to hanging out with the DEA and does bring up a very good point. They're pushing papers in some white collar cubicle. Stuff just keeps rolling in. We're just a toll booth on the highway. Just singing advice cop blues again. And this is a theme that is very prevalent throughout the entire series of my advice and is still very common today. Message. So as Crockett and Tubbs are walking up to this DA party, Gina's already inside. In my head, I'm personally thinking that having a party, I understand that people want to let loose and have fun. Maybe if I had just busted a cartel, one of whom's members did not die or was arrested in the shakedown shootout, I don't think I would, uh, I think I'd be a little bit more low-key with this. To be fair, is it a private residence? It's not like they rented out a nightclub and have a banner saying DA Vice Cop Party. <laughs> but in my head, I'm just like, hmm, I had a bad feeling from the get-go. So my suspicions were 100% right because as soon as Crockett, Tubbs, and Trudy walk through the hallway, which is very, very, very luminal and kind of cool. Maybe luminal is not the right word. Very cool, as in like lime green and white molding. As they're walking through the hallway, they hear gunshots. Knowing that Gina's already inside, Croc and Tubbs storm the door, start blasting as they get Trudy to go get help with Zeno and Switek outside. They're able to shoot off the shooters in the apartment and unfortunately, they find Gina. She's already been shot. She's lying on the floor, blood coming out of her, telling Crockett that she feels cold. So Crockett, like the true gentleman he is, does give her a jacket while they wait for help. Then, unfortunately, the next scene is at the hospital. And at the hospital, I will say the cinematography for this episode is excellent. The blocking, the colors, it looks like everything is filmed on more of like a blue lens. And you'll see that more throughout this episode. I think also that does lend to the fact that we are going to New York. Um, but when they're in the hospital, I kind of noticed this too. The way they staged this scene, the way it was shot, very much felt like a movie. Um, this episode is directed by Paul Michael Glazer from Starsky and Hutch. He's also directed a couple of episodes of Miami Vice, if you've been listening. So it's kind of cool to have that edge in leading us into season two. And as we're talking a little bit more in the hospital, the DA agent, Scotty Wheeler Part Duh, I forget what his name is. I'm sorry. I haven't, I've seen this episode like five times, but I totally forgot what his name is. Kind of explains what's been going on and how their security has been compromised and how Crockett and Tubbs factor into all this. I need to reveal this cash in before any more of my agents get killed. They're fugitives now, capital crimes, and we can prove it. Somebody's got to stir them up enough to flush them out and take them down. Your people go on strike? The agents who were killed? Drummond and the two in New York? They were all under. Under deep. Your security's been violated. Yeah. And we aren't sure how deep they got. Figure someone threw half a mil at some junior clerk somewhere and tapped into our central files. For all I know, the employment records and agents and photographs of every DEA agent in North and South America are in their hands. Dresses, license numbers, family members, the works. I got my East Coast people locked up in safe houses with their families, watching daytime TV. Your people don't appear in any of our files. No way the revealers can make them for cops. Couple of well-supplied players from Miami. 
would attract a lot of attention. We all know what this means. It's time for Crockett and Tubbs to make their way to New York. They can't just go full stop. They gotta they gotta get their way in. They gotta know who's who. And they gotta get, I guess I would say, a reference. And before we get to who the reference is, because it's a fun one, I will give credit to Bill Smitrovich. I hope I'm pronouncing your name right if you are listening. The actor who's playing Scotty Wheeler Part Deux, because even the voice and the cadence that he puts on for this episode differentiates him a lot from the Scotty Wheeler character. So if I were just watching this in syndication, it would have been, you know, already enough time had been elapsed, maybe a full year, I'm not 13 months, 12 months, what have you that I would probably not even be able to tell. So A plus Michael Michael Mann casting in this episode. Now they are going to make their way to New York. They just need to get in with the right people. And when I mean the right people, please go look at the gallery right now because they are off to a yacht party. They pull up in the boat. None other than Gene Simmons is the man we're looking for. And I also just want to let you listen to this. This is the introduction we have to the Gene Simmons character. How the government expects anyone to lead a decent life and still keep paying taxes is beyond me. That's because they expect you to make it legally. Bernat. That's so you can- Who amongst us can't relate to this? Even though we may not be in the same business, the pain of having to pay your taxes, not being able to have fun, paying your taxes honestly, it hurts. It hurts. Especially in a state like California, where I understand that the taxes I'm paying basically allow me to live by the beach. But then when you go to other states and see how low their tax rate is, or then when you go back to Canada where the tax rate's kind of the same, but you have free healthcare and like my university education was so much cheaper than it could have ever been in the United States. I was like, oh yeah, this is what I'm getting for. This is what I'm paying for. But however, plot aside, please go look at the bartender's outfit. She is wearing a hat, like a little black hat with gold fringe shoulder pads like a dictator. It is amazing. I apologize for the quality. I wasn't able to clip it on VLC. I didn't even notice it until after the fact when I was grabbing media for clips. Please go check it out. She is obviously one of the best dressed because I could not get over this. This whole scene, I didn't even really write anything about the plot because it's just the decor was amazing when they go down to the salon we finally get a good look at the outfit gene simmons's character is wearing (laughs) a white silk jumpsuit with a tied belt it is so amazing and unfortunately the camera it moves so fast this episode that i was not able to get a freeze frame of just the outfit so i had to make a gif so i please i encourage you the gif is available on giphy please use it as your disposal and think of me and think of ice and easy while you do so while they're talking shop and then before we get down to the salon where there's even more decor and drama tubs meets two beautiful women and i'll just let this clip do the talking hi i'm honey sweet (laughs) 
like I said, I didn't really take any notes on any of the plot devices or information that was going on in this episode, just because I was so distracted with the decor. Once I get down to the salon, you just see the detailing and the decor, and I took a picture of Crockett smoking while sitting on the stairs, and you just see, like, the clear banister with the gold detail. It is amazing. Along with the jumpsuit, I just got totally distracted, so... I have no idea what happened in this two-minute discussion. Just yada yada yada. Let's go to New York. What do you think? New York. It has to be. It has to be. Tubbs, you can see in his face, is thrilled at the prospect of returning to New York for work or for pleasure. So as there's some great 80s New York City B-roll rolling as we're introduced to the city, and Crockett's kind of lamenting that he's we're basically in perpetual gridlock in New York City, whereas Tubbs naturally is home and he's thrilled about it. However, when they get to the precinct, Tubbs and Crockett don't get the warm welcome that they would have expected. Their liaison isn't really having it. He doesn't want to give them access to the databases. He doesn't want to have to babysit some Miami Vice cops. He doesn't want to give them weapons. He's really not making this easy for them. And even though Crockett said that everything was approved beforehand, that they already had everything already laid out, planned, ready to go, he keeps blowing them off. So Crockett gets on the phone, makes a call, then hands the phone over to their liaison for a bit of an awakening. It's for you. Yeah. Yes, sir. I see. <laughs> no, sir. I was only. Yes, sir. It's a Tubbs. T U B B S. Tough, unique, bad, bold, and sassy. <laughs> I love that those two phone conversations. <laughs> Or happening at the same time in the same room. So Tubbs, tough, unique, bad, bold, and sassy, is trying to get a hold of Valerie, who you might remember from Rites of Passage, his old flame in New York who was in Miami looking for her sister, who unfortunately ended up passing away. And Valerie was the one that shot John Turturro dead, returned back to New York. And so we're kind of unaware of what happened to her. We know that Tubbs took a brief little jaunt to New York to be with her during the episode that he got injured. I believe that was the Home Invaders. And that in this episode in real life, when he was injured from a stunt, they basically wrote that he was in New York visiting her. But we don't really know any details of that. We don't know how much time has elapsed. And so in the next scene, they are off to meet their link in New York, set up by Gene Simmons' character. I totally forgot his name was, but this they're meeting Pendulette, whose character's name is Jimmy Borges. And we see Pendulette. Obviously, it's very hard to not see him. He's six foot seven. So he goes up to this beautiful girl. She is not having any of it. They're on a patio arguing. Basically, that he stood her up, blew her off while she was waiting for some party favors. And as he says this, he's trying to sell her on some stolen electronics. So from what I can see, he's already out of the business. Obviously, beautiful women who are partying and looking for those kind of party favors are not interested (laughs) in stolen stereo equipment. So his uh, clientele is about to change big time. So Crockett and Tubbs basically have followed him, tail him to the restaurant where he's having his breakfast, interrupt his breakfast, and pull the full court press on him to try to do business. But as we just saw in that previous scene, he's not really interested in that business anymore. But Crockett and Tubbs try to make it seem as appealing as possible to get back into it. 
Yeah, one shot deal, man. In, out, wham, bam, boom, done. Let me guess. Heavy snowfall? How about um, 600 pounds of Bolivian nasal dust? Courtesy of the Miami Metro Dade Police Property Warehouse. <laughs> Guys ripped off cops. <laughs> mm -hmm. Stuff's in New York? Well, not yet. We want to take some orders first. Satisfaction guaranteed, man. Or your money back. So they're kind of laying out the groundwork for their story quite well, if I may say so. They do end up sweetening the offer for Jimmy to be 50 keys. So with that, he's going to make some calls, tells them to meet him at 10 at a club called Delirious with very weird spelling. Um, you'll see it because it's all over this episode. So this is the club that they're going to go meet at. And when they go to the club to kind of check it out, there's actually a girl dressed dress just like a flapper. Like she has a little headband, everything in the dress, which that was very cute for the 80s. You know, I wondered if that was... a purposeful thing while the camera was panning in on her, you know, roaring 20s and what have you. But I thought that was very cute. Crockett makes googly eyes across the bar with a very pretty blonde girl surrounded by three men, which I thought was very funny. I was like, you go, girl. You have three men surrounding you. And of course, Don Johnson walks to the bar and you're just transfixed as wouldn't we all be in 1985? And now before he even goes over to talk to her, two guys that she's with reach over and under the bar. So they're obviously on the customer side of the bar, the client-facing side of the bar, what what have you. And then they reach over and it looks like they're grabbing cans because it, was, it wasn't a square pack of cigarettes. So I was trying to figure out what that was. So maybe they were hiding their stash there because I don't think, it doesn't look big enough to be a beer can. So I have no idea what that was. I think it was probably just their stash. <laughs> my, my notes say security and exclamation mark. Yeah, because if someone did that at my bar and like reached up and over, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hands be flying. So at this club, Crockton Tubbs meet up with Jimmy and they get introduced to a gentleman named Sacco and a beautiful woman who looks very familiar. And we're all a little tense and on edge because as Crockett and Tubbs undercover are being introduced to this gentleman, Sacco, Tubbs has his arm around Crockett, shaking this guy's hand very vigorously. Like I couldn't even catch a still capture of it making solid eyes like not death eyes but like laser focused eyes on Valerie and it is so funny <laughs> like it's just such a great out of context picture um because this is an interesting thing because Valerie has not been returning any of his calls even with that tough unique bad bold and sassy <laughs> message I would love that that reminds me of unfortunately not to make fun but Gary Busey tends to do that a lot and it actually is a really good way of memorizing things. So who am I to judge? I forget what the actual process is called, where you give each letter um, a descriptor. But hey, it does work. It does work to remember things. And so after Jimmy has introduced uh, Burnett and Cooper to Sacco and Valerie, he goes to the bathroom, which it's another very stylized black and white tile deco bathroom which i appreciate um similar to the maze um where a lot of conversations take place of course at the 1980s nightclub in the bathroom so as pendulette who's again six foot seven is peeing this guy comes up to him i noticed that there's an ashtray and i was like why would there be an ashtray at the bathroom and i was like oh my god so this guy comes up to him smoking a cigarette and peeing at the same time <laughs> Usually it's Crockett who's smoking in like the wildest locations, but this one 100% takes the cake. 
And so this guy clearly knows Jimmy. They obviously go back and he wants to know what his deal is and who these two guys are. Those guys? My cousin in Florida asked me to show him a good time. Real pain. Since when is Frank Sacco on the uh, A tour of New York City? You're too suspicious. You're making too many phone calls. You're hitting your shoes. That's serious weight. Being a woman, that took me like three rewatches to get the joke of you're hitting your shoes. <laughs> Basically, not only is he smoking, talking, and he's also peeing on his own shoes. <laughs> what a scene. What a scene. And it gets even better because in my notes, I have a cuckolding again? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Basically, Sarko is asking Rico if he knows how to dance. And basically, hey, why don't you dance with Valerie? I don't know if he could tell. Maybe he's testing her. I know this happens a lot where it's like, hey, dance with my girl. And like, I get it. Dancing is harmless and fun. And like, you shouldn't be that crazy and possessive. But uh, I also wonder if it's kind of like a testing thing or maybe it's like a testing cuckold thing. It could be all three. This is a, uh, who knows how this episode will play out. It is two parts, right? So let's see where this goes. So while they're dancing, Crockett and him are talking business. Crockett proposes a deal for 42 a key. He rejects Crockett's offer and basically says he's not hungry and to come back when he is, that he has enough product to get him through and he's full. Meanwhile, uh, what's that saying? Hurting your own feelings? Yeah, that's going to happen in this next conversation between Tubbs and Valerie. What are you to him? Companion. <sighs> well, yeah, so she's working vice and she basically explains to him that, you know, after what happened in Miami that obviously she couldn't um, kind of go back to her old role and so that she was working vice now that basically this guy is a lieutenant for a certain organization you know they're trying to get close they're trying to make a bust on him and she's what is it pillow talk makes great friends what's that saying oh I'm gonna look it up this is so frustrating it makes me so flustered when I can't remember English idioms because I should <laughs> you know <laughs> I just don't want to sound like Ricky from Trailer Park Boys giving you guys like the wrong idioms. <laughs> so after that bittersweet dance, Val and Tubbs go back, talk to Sarko. Sarko's going to leave for the night, tells Val that he can, that he'll go home, but she can come home later. She can take the limo home. So she, Rico and Sunny stay and kind of reminisce over old times. And it actually is like a very friendly banter between all three of them. Val's very sweet. She thinks... Crockett for his help with everything that happened last time when she was in Miami and Sonny's feeling a bit like a third wheel so he's gonna you know make his own way later that night and uh leave them be and I'm kind of happy for this because this does segue into my personal favorite Miami Vice soundtrack song. That 15 second copyright laws really cramping my style right now because I just want to play the entire song in its entirety because this is also where Croc is just walking alone in his light pastel blue oversized blazer smoking a cigarette wandering the streets of New York with purpose and because 
I'm such a loser. But yeah, like when I was a 15 year old girl walking, you know, for my exercise, or I used to walk to the magazine store. Um, I want to say it was about 20 blocks away and it was on like a main thoroughfare. So I wasn't like walking through residential neighborhoods. So I was kind of walking the streets in midtown Toronto and I would just have like this kind of music blasting and just envisioning myself being as cool as Sonny Crockett. Uh, <laughs> so it was also this episode, speaking of, you can hear him lighting a cigarette in, um, in that part of you belong to the city that I clipped. This entire episode just seems like it was sponsored by Lucky Strike. And you'll see what I mean as the episode goes on. So I could see why the network was later on like, hey, you guys got to cut it because this is really bad. <laughs> Do you know that smoking is bad for you? Like, this is what NBC was probably like. <laughs> yeah, we can't keep doing this at prime time. And now let's let Crockett be wandering by himself and let's check in with Tubbs and Valerie. Valerie. I can't. But she wouldn't see why. Uh, that song actually playing in the background is Many Rivers to Cross by Joe Cocker. Uh, yeah, this nightclub's uh, playlist is getting a little depressing at the end of the night. But uh, Tubbs, unfortunately, has to take the bad news to heart. He can't reconnect anything with Valerie this time around. So let's check back in with Crockett. And this next scene, Crockett is at the bar sitting alone, about to light up, naturally, a cigarette. And more of this scene... Lucky Strike presents Miami Vice as he's about to light up his cigarette. The woman he was making eyes across Deli- the bar at Delirious at is back at the same bar, approaches him with her unlit cigarette, lighting it on his Zippo lighter. And from there, gets into a lot of innuendo. Not very persistent, are you? I don't like this game already. Sometimes the best things are the hardest to get. Yeah, but the hardest to get ain't always the best. This is very interesting. And I really like that Crockett says that because I think it is a little bit of an antiquated notion about hard to get. I do believe it is kind of good not to put all your cards out there right at front. But I do believe that good relationships need to have a solid foundation and that your attachment styles need to complement each other. I also never had the confidence to play hard to get and then have to play like that waiting game or whenever I do give someone negative signals like not talking, being very quiet, not continuing our conversation. A lot of times, especially at the bar, they don't get it. And so even with flirting, it gets like that too. So I think that is very interesting that he brings that up, that he's really not down to play this game. Like Crockett, among all things, is just like a good old Southern boy. And so I don't see this banter really working with who we know Crockett to be as a person. So I do appreciate that he's like kind of not into it. But as we'll see later on this scene, things start to change. As he leaves the bar, goes to get a cab, she follows him, tells him that it's her cab. I'd be so pissed if I was Crockett. I'd just be like, I just want to go home. <laughs> I don't want to play this game. Just let me go home. And so this kind of hyper-sexualized banter continues. I, for one, I'm not really having it. I don't really see it. I understand that it makes for good TV, but my eyes are kind of rolling in the back of my head having to hear it one more time. One, I never get hot and bothered. And two, why don't you just get lost? Good for me, lady. The last thing I need is to waste time on a nutcase with an attitude problem. 
And as Huey Lewis and the News's Do You Believe in Love fades out, Crockett grabs her, kisses her, and they go in the cab together, presumably to her place. Now, I have a bone to pick with that song. Actually, no, no, you know what? We don't need to talk about my personal life. This is also like 15 years old. <laughs> but this is a very negative connotation for me. So it's not going to be the top of my list for this episode because of personal things. As much as I love Huey Lewis and the news. <sighs> All right. My personal drama aside, Crockett wakes up shirtless with black silk sheets. Again, this is the second woman he's dated with black silk sheets. And I love it so much. <laughs> I've never had black silk sheets and I can never imagine having silk sheets just doesn't doesn't fly with me but I just love this look so much so he doesn't know where he is and he doesn't know what's going on because he just sees all this art being carried in he hears this voice this guy's kind of making fun of him just calling him it's like I wonder if she likes it blah 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 um you know who that voice is Peter Allen that is Liza Minnelli's ex husband, the late Peter Allen, who A Boy From Oz was based on. Wild. Very wild. So basically, as they're bringing this artwork to stage a show, Crockett gets up, feeling like crap, doesn't even know mine, she doesn't even know his name. He doesn't even know hers. Ah, well, speaking of the morning after, we see Valerie rock out with Sarko, and she is addressed to the nines. This long fitted purple dress that makes her waist look like 10 inches and this beautiful hat she looks like a million dollars she basically she walks Sarko out to a car kisses him goodbye walks along on her day and <laughs> Tubbs is waiting outside he's basically back up against the wall of her apartment complex watching her pass by and I got big Joe Goldberg from you vibes and <laughs> That's so creepy. Oh my God. I understand he wants to know what's going on with her, but bro, come on. You understand what undercover is like. To be fair, Tubbs has not had a case in Vice because remember he was robbery and homicide in, um, back when he was working in New York. So he's never actually had to go undercover and become involved with someone for an investigation. So I guess that is where he cannot empathize nor, you know, nor relate to the situation that Valerie's in. So after Tubbs's creepy stakeout, <laughs> Crockett and Tubbs go to meet with Jimmy and they get to go drive around New York in this beautiful yellow car of Jimmy's. It looks like a lot of fun. There's a lot of fun B-roll. I took a couple pictures. The largest Macy's in the world, Cats, which was on Broadway then, which is super cool. And then they are going to this very cool... 80s, I wouldn't say goth, but like undercover queer bar with beautiful neon lights. And they're talking to two quote pushers, which they're listed at as IMDb pushers. Um, basically, they want to get a little bit more information about their vias. They ask when their next deal is going down. However, they kind of push back against Crockett, Tubbs, and Jimmy, and for good reason. Look, you're both real cute, but we're afraid of the Revelias, honey. Snuffing cops, letting blood. We'll handle the Colombians. So brave, but they're wasting their time. So why not get So it seems. Yeah, surprisingly, people are not really loose-lipped when it comes to doing business with scary cartel leaders. It's surprising to say. 
And so after that bus of a meetup, Jimmy wants to call it a day. Tubbs kind of pushes back, wants to keep going. Crockett, however, sends him, sends him on his way with a very funny one-liner response from Jimmy. Let him go. This meathead ain't making anything happen anyway. Get what you pay for. That is true because they haven't actually paid him anything. They said they would get him a cut and all their product, quote unquote, is back in Miami. Again, they're not, they don't, they're not giving out any testers or freebies or free keys to entice them to business with them. So yeah, what's, what's holding in it for him just because of the connection back from Miami. So I kind of get it, you know, but it's just at that scene. As soon as they wave Jimmy off, two NYPD cruisers come up and the guys come out. It's the same guys they talked with the precinct, the one who's already not happy about working with Crockett and Tubbs. Start roughing them up, basically saying that they're getting nowhere, that their mission, whatever they're on, is basically a bust. Crockett and Tubbs push back. They say they're not. They're working on it. They're really getting hot-headed about it. And then Crockett throws everybody for a loop. Get off my back! Face it, you can't deliver! Yeah, I can deliver, chump! Man's right, Tubbs. Hey, what the hell are you, what you doing, man, taking his side? Man's right. We're rolling snake eyes. We can't cut in between the Revias and their customers. Maybe we should just think about backing off and heading south. I'll see you again, huh? Yeah, all right. So why would Crockett turn on tubs like that? Why would he agree with NYPD, say their investigation's a bust and that they should just go home? Maybe they want to get the NYPD off their tail. Maybe they want to cut off Revia supplies so they can really get closer and closer. If the supplier can't deliver, then Revia's customers start to shiver. (laughs) You're a poet, Rico. (laughs) And my mama knows it. So this is the super iconic shot of them, um, Crockett in the pale blue suit next to Tubbs in the darker blue suit, laughing together side by side. I took a couple pictures, took a gif. It's definitely gonna be cover art for the episodes either on YouTube or on uh, Spotify and Apple. It just looks amazing. They look so good together. This makes me so happy. And this is how we end Prodigal Son part one. So we still have a lot of balls up in the air. We don't know what's gonna go down with the Revias. Now that Crockett and Tubbs have kind of changed their game plan, they want to try to cut off the Revia supply. They don't, they want to kind of distance themselves from NYPD, get them off their back. What's going on with Valerie? What's going on with this mysterious one night stand that Crockett had? Oh, sorry, one editing note. I think um, I'm going to try back and delete it, but if I don't have time, Peter Allen was not the gentleman walking in with the artwork. Peter Allen comes later in part two. I just got so excited when I saw Liza Minnelli's ex husband. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? But what an episode, Prodigal One, Prodigal Son Part One. And we are welcome back into the fold of Miami Vice. And let's go for it. Let's get down. Let's start breaking down season two, beginning right now. So, music. We are going to split this up because you know that if we did the full episode, you know which one I would pick. And it's going to be in part two. For part one, how can you say no to Caribbean Queen? 
by Billy Ocean. Such a catchy song. I have a very <laughs> interesting memory with an exotic dancer who danced this song. <laughs> a male exotic dancer, mind you. That is just such like a great peppy song. And I really do like the name of, um, the name, the use of In the Name of Love by U2 at the bar because it wouldn't be a nightclub song. So I do appreciate they use more of a bar song of the time as opposed to a nightclub top 40 dance song for their little make cute. Um, I still think Crockett could do better. Crockett's type of, Crockett's type of women just all over the place. He, he needs some therapy. He needs some soul searching. He needs to do that attachment style test that I mentioned earlier and see what's going on. So I really did like that, um, U2. And the Miami Vice U2 songs they use really well done. Like every episode that uses a U2 song, I'm always impressed with. So... Do You Believe in Love by Huey Lewis? As much as I love that song, I just have a very negative connotation where basically I was heavily, heavily, heavily rebounding and I should have just been single. But you know, you just want a boyfriend. You just don't care who it is. That's what it reminds me of because I was being treated poorly and I knew it. And then I was waiting for a text while I was out rollerblading. And I remember I was just blasting this song on repeat and being like, oh, it's a sign. It's not a sign, girl. Like, oh, this was before I did lots of therapy but just like so embarrassing and it was such a bad rebound i started drinking again just like such a shameful part of my life just Just, uh you only date as high as your self-esteem and i had zero at that time but aside from that so i'm gonna say my winner for song is gonna be caribbean queen by bully ocean naturally silver goes to you too and now best dressed men obviously is gonna go to crockett and tubbs and that iconic scene of them smiling, laughing together, different shades of blue. Now, the ladies are the real MVPs of this episode because not only do you have Valerie in that purple dress, you have the bartender with the gold fringed shoulder pads and the hat on the yacht. You also have this gorgeous woman walking in New York in this white and pink, pink, uh, I believe it's a skirt. Let me just double check. I believe it's a skirt. That is, it's a white top belted with a pink skirt. She looks amazing, super fit figure while she holds a Walkman. Um, Also headlights are fully on, which I did not notice until I put the picture on Imgur. So uh, (laughs) just heads up for that if you're showing your kids. But yeah, the women really stole the show this episode. Margaret's, I like that color blue on her. It's just, it's 280s. I do really like her haircut because she has delicate features that suit a pixie cut. And I've always wanted to be able to pull off a pixie cut. I can pull off shorter hair to my shoulders, to my chin, but I don't have like a delicate bone structure for that. So kudos to her. I really like Margaret's haircut. Not so much her style, not so much her words, (laughs) but her haircut. And we wrap up the fashion segment with return to Wildcard. And the winner of Wildcard is none other than Gene Simmons in that silk white jumpsuit. He owns it. I just imagine just meeting a man wearing a silk white jumpsuit, like the balls and the confidence it must take to pull that off. Love it. And our last category, this case sponsored by Lucky Strike Cigarettes as is clear throughout the entire episode. Government regulations prohibit us from advertising on TV. (sighs) Ah, that sweet Carolina smoke. And for once Crockett is not winning this award, that is gonna go to the gentleman smoking in the bathroom while peeing, thereby peeing on his shoe. (laughs) Talking to an adversary. 
smoking and peeing at the same time. That's, that's a lot of multitasking. So he hands down wins that. Ooh, and that that person looks familiar category. We got a few. We obviously got Gene Simmons. So in the 80s, he also was in Runaway, which is this fun, futuristic crime movie about killer robots filmed in Vancouver, starring Tom Selleck and Gene Simmons is the bad guy. And so it was kind of like right around this time. So I was like, wow, Gene Simmons like really knew to go for it. Like the big hair, the excessive everything. I very much appreciate it. He seems like a really cool guy. I watched his reality show. Um, I really liked his daughter. I thought his daughter was really down to earth and she's gorgeous because she takes the best aspects of both parents. Her mother, of course, is Shannon Tweed, who is Canadian. Um, and yeah, just like a beautiful, she seemed like very well balanced. I really liked her on the show. I know it's all manufactured and whatnot, but it, it was enjoyable 2000s reality TV. But Jeans is actually a very interesting character. Obviously, I'm very much a Kiss fan. And while I don't always agree with everything that they do, they were really very big pioneers in music. And his own backstory is very interesting. His mother was a Holocaust survivor. Only she and her brother were the only surviving family members of the Holocaust. So kudos to him and kudos to his mother very interesting guy and then obviously pendulettes of Penn and Teller I've actually never seen their show I've never seen them live and every time I go to Vegas usually go to Vegas on the weekdays and they only do Thursday Friday Saturday maybe Sunday so sadly I've never been able to see Penn and Teller in person but he sounds like a very interesting guy uh, their dynamic is very interesting I did not know they had been doing their magic act since the 70s I always thought they were younger but no, I think Teller was born in 1948. So they've been doing this a very long time. So kudos to him. And obviously we love to see Pam Grier again. I don't have any other tea on this. I know I didn't really have any vice tea for this episode, which is a little bit sad. I'll try to get some for the second part of this episode. Um, but I, yeah, after that whole uh, Richard uh, Pryor story, nothing can really top that, right? So... <laughs> And then aside from that, Annie Golden, who you'll recognize later as Tommy the Mechanic, she was in the NYPD precinct as a prostitute. She was having an argument in the background. I don't believe it made one of the clips to the show, um, but you'll definitely be able to recognize her voice and her face. She's very cute. And then aside from that, Susan Hess plays Margaret. Uh, seems to have retired from acting in 2012. Miguel Pinero called her own. Uh, once again, popped up again, but he was wearing a wig, so didn't really look the same. And then Luis Guzman, the guy that they're all looking for, I know him best as the chef from Waiting, who <laughs> were, can't really say it's not using dark language, but they have a little game with their huevos in the kitchen that <laughs> I really fondly remember from the movie Waiting, so that's how I'll know him. And that wraps up this episode. I'm sorry I didn't have much vice tea to bring y'all. I'll try to get some for part two, because part two is going to get a little juicy as we continue our stay here in New York. And thank you once again. If you like what I do, don't forget to like, subscribe, and follow me on everything Social Advice and Easy Podcast. As always, you can see anything at the gallery at the Vice and Easy Podcast Gallery. You can find that on my link tree. And... You can find that in the show notes as well for every single episode of the podcast. Follow me, listen to me, Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, YouTube, wherever you get your podcast. Thank you once again for listening, for liking and subscribing. See you next week. And as always. Hey man, Miami Wise is number one new show.